You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. You guys ready for this? Okay. We're going to start at the top. Let's see how far we make it. But the fruit of the Spirit is? Love. Love. Some of you were here for the start of the series. Good job. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. This is where it gets tricky. Uh, See? There's so many nisses, it's hard to know. What's next, right? Let's go. Let's take it from kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Today we're talking about gentleness, and I know what you're thinking, but Andrew, faithfulness is next in the order to which I would say, but you know what's not a fruit of the Spirit? Chronological order. So (laughs) today we're talking about gentleness, and if gentleness was a fruit, I'd have to say it'd be a peach. You ever held a ripe one too firmly? It just dissolves in your hands, melts in your mouth. Uh, to get to drive the point home a little further, let's do as Josh likes to do and look at the original Greek word proutes, which means weak, feeble, fragile. Um, a quote from the historian Heretocles, gentleness is by far the lamest of all fruits. Basically, wimpiness is next to godliness. Now, before I am guilty of full-blown heresy, and they never let me up here again, I should say I am messing with you. (laughs) This is your first time. Sometimes we lie in church, I guess. I'm sorry. Um, But isn't that what comes to mind when we think of gentleness? We think of weakness, right? Maybe images come to mind of Jesus, like, lovingly stroking a lamb, right? Maybe you've seen that in your head, or like the disciples making a friendship quilt together. But oftentimes, we just have this picture in our head that like, gentleness is like kind of lame. Like it's, it doesn't feel, I don't know, courageous or strong, or like some of these other fruits that are really cool. But the first thing that we have to understand about gentleness is that's not true at all. In fact, gentleness implies Power. The, the actual way the Greeks used this word, proutes, was to describe bringing a mighty animal under control. Imagine holding an elephant by a leash. You get some looks taking Dumbo for a stroll around the block, right? This is a creature that is heavier than the car you drove to church today. If it so much as took a wrong step, could crush you. No, gentleness implies power. I want to show you a photograph. Check this out. This is one of the most viewed photographs in the world. You've probably seen it before. It's been featured on the covers of magazines and newspapers. And do you know why it's so popular? It's a soldier feeding a kitten. It's adorable. This is, um, I mean, the guy's, he's literally got a gun strapped to his leg. He is sitting in the trenches of the Korean War in the middle of fighting a life or death battle, and he takes time to feed this kitten some of his powdered milk, right? Yeah, you can, you can, aw, that's pretty, like, that's pretty cute. Um, but the, the soldier's name in the photograph is named Frank, and he actually retells the story behind this famous photograph. Uh, One night after the Marines had all gone to sleep, 
there came out of the darkness the sound of a cat crying. And one of the soldiers got so annoyed that he grabbed his rifle, marched out in his boxers, and shot the cat dead. There it is. There it is. Yeah. What he didn't know was that this cat had just given birth to newborn kittens that were now orphans again. Oh, it's going to be a sad service today, folks. <laughs> Talking about orphan kittens. And um, so Frank and one of the old, old other soldiers adopted these kittens, and they attempted to rescue them. And Frank's cat survived. However, the other soldier accidentally rolled over on top of his kitten while he was sleeping. And it, we're not going to go into detail, but... Frank's cat survived. <laughs> That's the good news. And I want to ask you why. Why did Frank's cat survive? Was it because he was weak? It was because he was gentle. Notice that the three men in this story all had power. One used it to destroy on purpose, ruthlessness. One simply wasn't careful with it carelessness or recklessness, but one used his power to give life rather than to take it away. That is a picture of gentleness. But we know and we feel the effects of ruthlessness and carelessness every single day, right? We, we understand full well the opposite of gentleness because if we're honest, it's pretty rough out there. And maybe the first time you experienced it was the pecking order in public school, and you're still carrying names that you were called years ago. Maybe it was an abusive touch or an aggressive word or the rat race at work as you were pinned against your coworkers fighting for recognition, fighting for a promotion. Maybe it was just a little playful banter that went too far and cut a little too deep, but there are words and actions that have been done to us that have been ruthless and that have been careless. If you want to know what the opposite of gentleness looks like, you need look no further than your social media app of choice. It is a battlefield. It's the trenches out there. It's a wasteland of harsh words, complaints, condemnation, people using their power to take life away, to destroy, right? And that's just the stuff we see on our public feeds. The stuff that is happening over text and private messages can even be more devastating than that. We just did a series called The Digital Age with our youth students. And I gotta tell you that our kids are drowning in depression right now because of the things that they are seeing on screens. So I beg you, before you get your kid a phone for their birthday because all their friends have one, just consider that you might be throwing them onto a battlefield of harsh words where there's a lot of power and people are not using it very carefully. If you want to know what the opposite of gentleness sounds like, just go for a nice leisurely drive around 5 o'clock tomorrow night down Front Street. <laughs> you know, I've noticed a lot of similarities in the way my toddlers talk to each other and the way people in traffic talk to each other, except they don't know all the, the fun expletives yet. <laughs> if you're that guy holding your horn down for five full seconds, you can go ahead and take the Hill City sticker off the back of your car. <laughs> we don't want to be known for that. <laughs> but it's, it's rough out there. There's a lot of people who are using their power to push each other around and tear each other down, and that is not 
how we were designed. And that is not who God is. And the people that do and say harsh things in the name of Jesus are not representing Jesus. I want to show you what God is like. And God is powerful, by the way. Very powerful. In fact, when I was a kid, I'll be honest, God kind of freaked me out. I don't know if you've ever laid awake at night just trying to like think about the, like, wait, God never had a start date? What does that mean? And if you ever done one of those one-year Bible reading plans, anyone on that right now? You made it to March? Good on you. I'm still on the one I started from 10 years ago, so I'm like getting there, stuck in numbers somewhere, you know? Um, but if you, if you get into those one-year reading plans, six chapters in, God destroys the world. And as a seven-year-old, that changes the way you see the weather. Every time it's overcast like today, I'd be duct taping pool noodles together, making my own little ark, preparing for the apocalypse, you know? And then if you make it past that, um, you come across the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, now it's not just rain, right? It's like fire and sulfur. Can you imagine if they had the weather app back then? The kinds of things? Oh, locusts on Tuesday. Mmm, <laughs> that should be interesting. Um, but God's powerful. And it doesn't take long going into the pages of scripture to see just his mightiness and his magnificence and his intensity and ferocity, right? But if you make it all the way through the opening chapters of the New Testament, Jesus shows up on the scene and we get this very, we see this very different side of God. Instead of this ferocious, terrifying, planet juggling king of the universe, we see a simple carpenter. And even the way he entered the world is mind-blowing. I would have imagined like something out of Terminator with flashes of electricity and Arnold Schwarzenegger walking out of smoke. But instead of coming in all of his glory and fury, he showed up the same way we all do. Miracle of life, right? So humble, so lowly, so gross. And it's mind-blowing that that's how God enters the world. And it can beg the question, so what is he? Like over here, we see him crippling countries with plagues and holding back the Red Sea with his bare hands. And over here, he's sanding rocking chairs. It's like, what, what is he? Is he all powerful? Is he like humble and even somewhat limited? And that is the picture of what gentleness is. You see, God uses his power. He controls his power. He reigns it in. He restrains it. And then he uses it to care for his creation. That is the definition of gentleness. It's not weakness. It's using your power, not for your own benefit, but to lift others up. And that's what we see when we see God. One of the most beautiful examples of the gentleness of Jesus comes out of John chapter 8. That's where we're going to be spending the rest of our time. So if you got your Bible, you can crack it open um, to John chapter 8. But Jesus arrives at the temple first thing in the morning, and he begins teaching as he has done so many times before. And as the first rays of sunlight are starting to illuminate the courtyard, all that could be heard is the sound of birds singing and the master's voice carrying through the crowd when all of a sudden, screaming and crying, people start looking around, a gap forms in the crowd, and a woman, barely clothed, is dragged by her hair in front of everyone, thrown at the feet of Jesus, where she lay curled up in a ball and crying. The men who brought her there reek 
of royalty. They are dressed in their, their Sunday best, their religious robes. They are men of power, prestige, and position. And this church service just became a courtroom. And this woman's life is now in their hands. The leader of the group steps forward and he speaks up and he says, teacher, I imagine his voice is dripping with sarcasm. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law tells us to stone such women. What do you say? And there was the trap. You see, these men, they knew Jesus' teachings on mercy. So would he go against his own words or would he break the law? This question came with a threat. Kill her or give us a reason to kill you. But check out what Jesus does. These men have shown up looking for blood. They have brought nothing but ruthlessness and violence with them. And this is what Jesus does. He bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. I mean, he doesn't even acknowledge him. He just starts playing tic-tac-toe in the dust. And we don't know what he wrote. Historians have argued over it. Maybe he was writing their names or a scripture verse or even their sins so that they could see that he knows that they're not perfect either. But check it out. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. When they keep questioning him, he's like, okay, kill her. And let any one of you who's never messed up or made a mistake or done anything wrong, you get to go first. And then he bends back down and continues writing in the ground. Now there is a lot that we can see about what gentleness looks like and feels like and sounds like in this intense interaction with Jesus. Because unlike something like gratitude, Gentleness is a little less tangible. With gratitude, it's like, yeah, say thank you more, you know, count your blessings. Something like generosity, it's like, yeah, be, be more giving, give a gift, share what you have with other people. Gentleness, it's, it's not as tangible, but we know it when we, when we see it and we know it when we don't experience it, right? It's more of a posture, it's perspective, and it's something that shows up in almost every minute interaction and conversation throughout our daily lives. And so we're gonna look at the different characters of the story and see what we can learn about what gentleness feels like. And I want you to pay attention to which character you relate to the most. We've got four. We've got the woman, Jesus, the Pharisees, and let's not forget the crowd who's there watching this entire spectacle take place. So let's look at Jesus first and just contrast him with the Pharisees for a second. The Pharisees show up and they are lording their authority above this woman, right? But where does Jesus spend most of this story? On the ground. Isn't that interesting? Right there with the woman. It's easy to gloss over that detail, but I think it's important. I don't think he was just down there because he had something to write in the sand. I think he was down there because she was down there. And something we need to understand about gentleness is that it comes as a posture. It is primarily experienced as a posture. A posture and a practice where you lower yourself. And we see Jesus doing this all the time, didn't he? He wasn't kicking it with the king or the high priest. He was hanging out with high school dropouts, with alcoholics, 
with sex addicts. He was hanging out, he was hanging out with the women and the children, which was not like a thing people did back in the day. He hung out with the people that were invisible to the rest of the world, the racial minorities and the disabled and the homeless. That's where Jesus could be found, was with them. In fact, Jesus' very existence is an, an, an embodiment of the lowering of God, of God lowering himself. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, you know it well. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he what? He emptied himself. He lowered himself taking the form of a servant. One of the best places to practice gentleness is on the ground. Humbleness is implied that we get down here. And practically how that plays out, there are people in your life that in the back of your mind, in the back of my mind, we have written off they have become invisible to us. Because somewhere deep down, we may never say this out loud, but somewhere deep down, we've believed that we are better than them. That they are not worth our time. That they have nothing to give us. That we have nothing to gain from them. And that is not how Jesus saw people. And I just want to remind you that there are people in your life right now that will be blessed by your very presence Man, do we even put appointments on our schedule unless there's a reason for it anymore? When's the last time we just were with someone to give them our attention? And guys, this could be people that live in the same house with you. This could be people you see every day at work. Could be your widow neighbor. Could be someone in this room. But we've gotta, we've gotta lower ourselves and engage with those around us. Jesus lived a life where he was constantly lowering himself. And we need to do the same thing. Let's look at the next thing that Jesus does in this story. When the, he doesn't just spend the whole time on the ground playing in the dirt. When the men close in with stones in their hands, that's when he stands up. And that's when he speaks up. And what he shows us here is that gentleness implies involvement. That gentleness demands that we do something. You see, if Frank had just held the kitten really, really carefully for a very long time, what would have happened? It would have died. He had to actually do something. And what we see here is it's not good enough as Christians to just not be racists, to just not be sexists, to just not be homophobic. It's easy to forget that there's a whole crowd of people watching this take place that do nothing, that say nothing. And if Jesus, Jesus wasn't there, she would have died because of their lack of involvement. Man, who are the people in your life that you, you could step into their situation and you can stand up for them, that you could lift them up? with the power that you have. And that's our next practice, is to lift others up, is to get involved, to do something. We can get so discouraged and so disillusioned with the state of the world, with the enormity of our problems, that we just check out. 
Let's be honest about that for a second. Some of us have more hope in the end times than we do in our present age. And it's become an excuse for us to disengage and just wait on Jesus to show up. But that's not what Jesus does. If if Jesus isn't back yet, then he's not done yet. And we've got work to do. And, And the work is to lift others up with whatever power you have, whatever position you have. Maybe you can't end racism, but when's the last time you had a black person over to your house? When's the last time you welcomed a new American and showed them around? Maybe you can't solve world hunger, but you can share a meal. Man, when you're at Trader Joe's loading up on your groceries for the next week, do you even think about the person on 15th who's waiting for you with a sign on your way home? What if you grabbed them a water bottle and an energy bar? What if we started to look at people not for what we could take from them, but for what we could give to them? And gentleness is felt. It's felt in the eye contact with a homeless person. It's felt in the tone from a parent to their child. It's felt in a gentle touch rather than a harsh one. It's the little things. I would, if, if love is the most important of the fruits, as I'm sure Paul would put up an argument for, then I would say that gentleness is one of the primary ways people experience it most often from us. That's how they're experiencing God's love is in the small interactions each and every day, and they will give way to some of the greatest works of God in your life because you'll be approachable. People will sense God's love radiating from you as we look for every opportunity to use our power to lift them up. There are people that you see every single day that cannot stand up for themselves. These are some of the most abused and neglected citizens on the planet. Do you know who they are? Children. Doesn't matter their race. Children are some of the most taken advantage of people in our world and they cannot stand up for themselves. Maybe you've heard it said that you never stand so tall as when you stoop down to pick up a child. Jesus said it like this, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And guys, we've got a whole basement full of kids. We've got a whole upstairs full of youth students. And they need a group of adults who will stand up for them. They need you to use your power and your position to lift them up. I mean, when you think of children, it's, it's the natural response to a child should be gentleness, right? Your friend comes over, they bring their toddler, what do you do? You lower yourself and you lift them up. Man, God gave us kids for so many reasons, but one of them is so that we could practice gentleness. They say it takes a village to raise a child, but we don't live in villages anymore. In fact, we've never been more disconnected and isolated from one another. So I want to ask you, would you be that village? Because these kids aren't going to get another one. This is it. This is the best shot they have of a group of adults that is willing to take a stand on their behalf. So if God is doing something in your heart right now, 
If there, if, you, if there are people coming to mind that stood up for you, that lowered themselves for you, that lifted you up when you were young, would you do the same? And you can let us know that God's stirring something in your heart by just filling out a connect card. Andrew Branham, guarantee, I'll follow up with you tomorrow. <laughs> You're gonna get a call from me and I would love to introduce you to the same kids that, that changed my life all the time. You get so much more out of spending time with children than you have to give. It's beautiful and there's no higher calling than loving and leading little ones. Would we lift them up as a church? Fill out that kind of card. And let's check out how this story ends. After Jesus makes his bold statement, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, those who heard began to go away, one at a time. They showed up looking for a battle, but Jesus' gentleness sends the crowd. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Notice the crowd, maybe out of shame or embarrassment, has also left. And he asked her, this is key, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. See, unlike the Pharisees, who likely trapped this woman and then played judge, jury, and executioner, Jesus just asks her a couple of questions and then listens. Man, if we could just figure out how to do that one thing, to listen, most of our arguments and domestic disputes and conflicts at work would be resolved. And this is one of the primary ways people will experience gentleness. Gentleness is more about what you don't say than what you do say. Let that sink in for a minute. So often when people are talking, even if we're listening, we're actually thinking about what we're gonna say when they're done talking and looking for an in. But Jesus asks her a couple questions and just listens to her. What would it look like if parents listen to their children. One, it's funny, because one of the number one things I hear when parents drop their kids off at, at youth group is, well, they don't listen to me anymore, but maybe they'll listen to you. And then I talk with the kid, and you know what they say? My parents don't listen to me. And I'm like, I think something is missing here. If we could just get people listening, maybe we get somewhere. See, it's not about what you say, it's about what you don't say. And when you do say something, it's more about how you say it than what you say. Right? You ever, those of you who've ever trained dogs, have you noticed how you can say the meanest things in the world to them, but if you say it nicely, they just love you? You're such a bad boy. No one loves you. And they're just like, yeah. <laughs> What are your, what are your, what's your spouse hearing when you're like, yeah, I love you too, honey? What's your kid hearing where they're like, stop being so annoying. I wish you were just like your brother. That stuff sticks for years. You could say the right thing the wrong way and do irreparable damage. Gentleness is about what you don't say and it's about how you say what you do say. When you speak, after you've listened, would your words be seasoned with grace? Proverbs 15.1 
tells us that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Our words and our actions have power to care or to kill, to lift up or to tear down. What will you do? When you leave here, the first people that you see will be an opportunity to practice gentleness. Jesus shows us what this looks like and feels like. I wish I, if I told you all the ways you could do it, we'd be here all day because there's so many different small interactions and conversations, but you know it when you see it. And when we look to Jesus, the source of gentleness, we'll start to know it and know how to share it with others. As we wrap up, I want to I want to share a part of the um, story of Jesus's arrest that we, we sometimes kind of gloss over or we miss, but I think it's such a perfect example of what we're talking about. Out of John 18, you can just flip 10 chapters down the way, you'll be there. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. Catch this, they were carrying torches, lanterns, weapons. Does that not describe the majority of human relationships right now? Right? They're looking for a fight. They came for blood. And Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, this is moments before the cross, he went out and asked them, who do you want? Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Check this out. I think this is so cool. He says, you got him. I am he. And they drew back and fell to the ground. That is power. Sometimes we get this picture of Jesus being this helpless man, being dragged all the way to the cross, but that is not the case at all. He is completely in control the whole time. He knew exactly what he was doing. And when an army, we're talking hundreds of people have shown up with clubs and torches and swords to arrest this one man, what's he do? He marches right out to meet him. And at the, at even the admittance, the acknowledgement of who he is, these soldiers fall to the ground. That is power. But look at what he does moments later. After the men get their courage back, I imagine them kind of like prodding him maybe a bit to see like if he's gonna attack or vaporize him. But they step forward, they seize Jesus and arrest him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for a sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Violence for violence, right? An eye for an eye. But this was also a distraction. This was Jesus' chance. He could make a break for it. But he doesn't. Instead, he reaches down to the ground, and he picks up the man's severed ear, and he performs the last miracle before he goes to the cross. That is gentleness. You see, Jesus didn't go to the cross unwillingly. He wasn't killed because he couldn't escape. He was killed because he allowed himself to be killed. God used his power not to save himself, 
but to save us, to save you, to save me. And maybe today you need to be reminded or you need to experience for the very first time the gentleness of God. Would you close your eyes for just a minute and would you picture yourself in the place of this woman? What's that moment of greatest shame, of deepest regret for you? I know it's hard, but could you go back there for just a moment? Try and picture that scene. It's probably not outside the temple. Maybe it's in your room. Maybe it's in the hallway at school. Maybe it's alone in your office after a meeting went south. Whatever it is that you did, you've been caught red-handed. There's, there's no doubt about it. You are guilty. And now it's time to pay. And your accusers are looking for blood. And just in your lowest moment, when it feels like the night is closing in around you, you sense someone on the ground with you. And he lifts up your face and Jesus says, hey, where did, where did they go? Don't they condemn you? Well, neither do I. Now go and leave your life of sin. If you are ready, to accept the gift of Jesus' gentleness today. Would you meet us up here at the front of the stage after service? We'd love to introduce you to him. Because he is so gentle. He tells us he's gentle. So take my yoke upon you, for I am strong-willed, I am charismatic? No, no, no. I am gentle and humble of heart, and he will meet you right where you are at today. Would you open your eyes, and would you stand, and would we remember that Jesus is with us, and his presence is gentle. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.